All right, welcome to the Movie Geeks United Blu-ray Roundup for the month of April 2021. I am Jamie, and of course I'm here with Adam, our Blu-ray guru. Hello again, everybody. Here we are covering again at another month of stellar releases, right? <laughs> Is it stellar releases this month? I don't know. Actually, this month was kind of thin. Um, you know, there there were a lot of several weeks went by when there wasn't a whole lot of uh, uh, major releases. I don't know. You know, there's some weird stuff going on in the home entertainment divisions of the studios. I don't know. I'm sure you're aware of all this, but some of our listeners may not be that Warner Brothers, uh, their home entertainment division has has now uh, they basically joined up with Universal. So it's they're now adventure. Universal is going to be handling all of the Warner Brothers product from here on out as far as the physical discs goes. So Warner Brothers will not be releasing their own product starting at the end of this year, I believe is when it uh, beginning of next year, rather. And that has caused a lot of um, talk, shall we say, on the uh, Internet, about especially I think it started on Twitter with Jerry Beck, the animation historian, had alluded to the fact that he didn't know if there were going to be any more releases of classic Warner Brothers cartoons because – because of the divisions of at Warner Brothers being basically um, shut and put out to pasture and uh, shut down, I guess is what I meant to say. And so it's it's really a sad it's a sad thing because some of these people have been there 24, 25 years that were running the Warner Archive and uh, they've been given their walking papers. Warner Archive has a slate all the way completed all the way through the end of this year, and then after that, nobody really knows what's going to happen to the Warner Archive label. So. It's very sad, and and it's you know the, it's no secret that the focus is on on streaming, and I think it's pretty interesting. There's a lawsuit going on now. You probably know about this as well, and uh, that um, Apple is being sued for telling pe- people that they that they can purchase certain titles and they own them, but then in the fine print they can uh, when their licensing agreement ends with these certain studios that they the customers who supposedly bought these titles. They really haven't bought them, and they can take them away. And so now there's a there's a uh, there's a lawsuit going on. So uh, you know that's going to be interesting. That's going to have major repercussions, I think, as far as uh, buying digital product and all of that. Uh, I don't know what kind of what what the uh, what the end, end game is going to be on all that, but I think it's very interesting. And I've you know I'm not necessarily anti-streaming or anti-digital copies of things, but uh, I think people have to be very careful because, uh, you know, a lot of times people think they're getting something that's going to be permanent. And unless you can actually physically download a movie that you purchased, you really don't own it. I think that's important to point that out to people. So um, anyway, just yeah, interesting yeah. changes of foot, the, uh, the home entertainment divisions of uh, these companies yeah, for various reasons. So anyway, so we'll preface everything with those little – tidbits of news that I thought people might be interested in hearing about mm, <laughs> for mm. whatever it's worth. <laughs> yeah. So what's going on in April? What releases do we have? Okay. Well, we have a couple of reissues. We'll start with these. Uh, Kino has reissued two titles that were previously issued by Twilight Time. The uh, Twilight Time was defunct. As we know, it ended. Uh, they ceased production of their titles in Officially, I think in early 2020, they made that announcement, although they didn't, haven't released anything since October 2019. 
Uh, they came back this year, and they've been putting out a few things here and there, but it's a totally different group of people that own them now. They've just resurrected the label, but it's not the same Twilight Time people from before. Uh, I mean, I think there may be one or two people from the original company who's involved, but generally speaking, it's a it's a different situation going on there. But anyway, two of the Twilight Time titles that had gone long out of print, Rollerball with James Caan and uh, another James Caan. I should say James Caan's in both of these, Rollerball and The Killer Elite, both released in 1975. And these have been reissued by Kino with some new commentaries. And new extras, and I think most of the previous extras from the Twilight Time releases have been carried over. So uh, we have uh, reissues of Rollerball and, and the Killer Elite, um, of course, being um, long out of print due to the uh, uh, Twilight Times going uh, being defunct there for a while. Um, I've never Trevor, seen never seen Rollerball. I have seen I have seen Killer Elite. And it's not as bad of a movie as I was set up to believe from reading some of those reviews from back in the day. Yeah, it's, agreed. It's not great. I mean, it's a PG-rated Peckinpah movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah. a lot of it's interesting, I thought. And, you know, the the pairing of Khan and Duvall, and Duvall is a baddie. You know, he's the bad guy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And... uh so, uh, yeah, I, I'm like you. I think it has some good stuff going on. Um, it's flawed, but interesting, shall we say. I guess that's uh, a good way to put it. Yeah. But um, uh, Arrow Video has released Death Has Blue Eyes from 1976. And um, this is uh, – uh, let's see. I'm trying to get some plot details here. It's a, I think it's a Giallo from 1976. And uh, they have two cuts with this new edition of Death Has Blue Eyes, directed by Nico Mastarakas. Oh. But, um, yeah, this is a, a horror film, and um, it has, like I said, some a new commentary, a new restoration uh, that was uh, supervised by the director. Uh, I'm, I did get a review copy of this, but have not gotten a chance to look at it myself. But, anyway, I just wanted to mention Death Has Blue Eyes from Air. Video has been uh, released this month along with Donnie Darko. They have issued in 4K. So I wanted to mention to people who are, and I know Donnie Darko has a huge following. Of uh, and so both cuts, the director's cut and the theatrical cut, are going to are available on this new set from Arrow Video. And I think all of the previous extras that have been issued with previous editions of Donnie Darko. They're all going to be ported over in this new uh, uh, set, uh, the 4K upgrade of Donnie Darko. So anyway, just wanted to mention that. The new um, uh, the new film from that was written, of course, by uh, Kristen Wiig, uh, co-written by Kristen Wiig. I, actually, her follow-up, a long-awaited writing, screenwriting follow-up to um, – Along with her writing partner, partner Annie Mumolo, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which I haven't gotten around to seeing. Mm. That was the uh, the new release came out earlier this year, but I know uh, a lot of people were wondering what um, up her sleeve as a follow up to Bridesmaids, and she resisted doing a sequel. So this was it. Um, got mixed reviews. I can't really say, but anyway, just wanted to to let people know. Uh, there is a uh, – also from Kino, there is a Carol Lombard collection, volume 
Two, and it includes several films from 1935 to 1936. Three films, actually. Hands Across the Table, Love Before Breakfast, and The Princess Comes Across. So those are several films that Kino has released in a box set collection following on the heels of their Carol Lombard Collection Volume 1, which was released several months ago. And so now they have a uh, a second one, and they have another collection. Western Classics Volume 2 includes The Redhead from Wyoming, Pillars of the Sky, and Gun for a Coward. These are from 1953 to 1957, several titles that Kino has uh, opted to release. Um, they have the licensing rights to a lot of these universal titles, and I think that might have been uh, some of the films from their universal uh, studios titles that they have. So anyway, speaking of Universal, several releases from them as well on their own label. We have from 1948 Taproots, starring Van Heflin and Susan Hayward and Boris Karloff and Julie London. That's a, it's a, I think it's a Civil War picture. Um, yeah, like I said, 1948 in Technicolor, glorious Technicolor. And we also have the remake of Little Miss Marker from 1980. This is the one that starred Walter Matthau and Julie Andrews. It was a remake of the old Shirley Temple film. It was made in the uh, the 1930s. This one, I think, was written and directed by Walter Bernstein, I believe, who mm. recently passed away. I think he was the one behind this. Um, God, I, I, work, got, uh, I worked so hard to get him on that Movie Geek yearbook thing. Knowing that he was 100 years old, I like found his home number, and I kept trying to call and couldn't get him. Ah. Uh, that's a shame because he would have been so great. Yeah. Well, he was like yeah, close with Martin Ritt. Yes, right. Yeah, and they, he, they, uh, uh, he, know, he, a lot of the stuff he wrote was um, was in some way referencing of the blacklist. I mean, most. Uh, yeah, the one with Woody Allen, the front. Yeah, yeah. Right, the front. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's. So, uh, yeah, he did uh, – didn't – I think he – I want to say he co-wrote Norma Ray, maybe. I want to say that. I might be I wrong about that. I don't know if he did, that. but he did do – I mean, he did the Molly Maguires and he did uh, – Yes. Something else with Martin Ray. He, they, they did a few things together. They were very close. I think he did Stanley and Iris. Oh, did they? Say. Yeah. Oh. I think so. I think he co-wrote that as well. We worked together quite a few times. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, yeah. But Martin Ritt was we not was not uh, listed – or he was not blacklisted, but Bernstein right. was. That's right. I think yes. Bernstein really That's suffered right. for uh, refusing to cooperate. Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. Um, well, speaking of um, Kino again, uh, the Dario Argento 2001 film Sleepless, which starred Max von Sydow as a retired police detective on the, the trail of a serial killer. Uh, this is a Dario Argento film I have not seen, I must admit. But nevertheless, Kino, uh, through its subsidiary label Scorpion Entertainment, has released Sleepless in 2001. And we have How High, starring Method Man and Red Man from 2001. That's a universal release. Wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the fond days of the early 2000s. That's a contrast. You back uh, a Max von Sydow Argento movie <laughs> yes. and How High with Method Man. <laughs> yes, true, true. Universal has also 
uh, to, to release The Last Days, the uh, the documentary uh, produced by co-produced by Steven Spielberg and the Shoah Foundation from 1998. It's the World War II Oscar-winning documentary, The Last Days. I don't think that's been available previously on Blu-ray. So Universal has uh, – and it's a worthy film, I think, as far as those types of things go. Um, so – Anyway, so we'll move along uh, to April 13th, where we have several Kino titles that are worth mentioning. Uh, Spaceballs has been issued in 4K. The uh, perennial favorite from writer-director Mel Brooks, of course, which I think just seems to gain in stature with each passing year. The, uh, I guess it's the Star Wars thing, and all the, the fans of Star Wars have really glammed on to this one. And uh, It's not my favorite of Brooks's. Uh, films, but it's certainly charming in its own way. It has its moments. Uh, I don't think it can compete with Young Frankenstein or uh, Blazing Saddles but, or the producers, but, uh, uh, you know, good on its own terms, I guess you could say, and certainly better than the last couple of films he did before he ended his career. Um, Dracula Dead and Loving It, I'll take it over that any day. Thank you. <laughs> um, and speaking of the producers, and by the way, the Spaceballs has all the previous uh, previously uh, um, issued extras that were on other editions. And again, this is Kino that's uh, handling this, along with the producers. They've done a brand new transfer of the producers with some new commentaries and all the previously issued extras. Kino is responsible for this one as well, so we have two Mel Brooks films this month from Kino Lorber Studio Film Classics. They've also released The Wildlife from 1984. Do you remember this one? This was supposedly the follow-up, Cameron Crowe's follow-up to uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but it really didn't really didn't uh, have the success that Fast Times at Ridgemont High did. the one that Chris <laughs> Penn was in? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, I've got the soundtrack. Yes, Eric Stoltz as well, Leah Thompson, and Rick Moranis. Speaking of Spaceballs, uh, Art Linson directed this, who's better known as a producer, and as I said, Cameron Crowe wrote it. Um, but, yeah, it's similar in nature to Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but it didn't meet with that sort of success. You know, one of the uh, – uh, there are a couple of interviews that I've done over the years that uh, – I lost when my old computer shut down and I was never able to air them. One is um, Miguel Ferrer, and the other is the actor that played Chainsaw in Summer School. (laughs) And uh, Yeah, right. The the only reason why I bring this up is because uh, that actor, he was cast to play Spicoli in the TV version of Fast Times. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Good call. How long did that series last? Not long. I can't well, it imagine. It didn't last long. I think about a half a season, maybe something like that. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, I'd totally forgotten about that. I'd I'd kind of like to go back and watch those just for nostalgia's sake. Yeah, after all I mean these they, they got so much a, on YouTube. They probably kind of be, probably be on YouTube. I would think. Yeah, yeah, they're probably. If they're not on YouTube, there are other places you can find them, I'm sure. So, yeah. yeah. I uh, I recently found, um, via uh, one of those places where you go to find old television shows, and uh, uh, the series FM, you know, the movie FM yeah. was turned into a television show starring Robert Hayes. 
And I found all 13 episodes of that. And that, that was from 1989. It only lasted half a season. So boy, it was, uh, that was kind of fun to stumble across that again. So you I'm never just, know what's out there. You know, I'm just thinking about summer school. So the original director of that was Amy Heckerling and it's a young, it's, it's supposed to be like a two, yeah. hit, two, two hit for school kind of adolescent thing with Mark mm-hmm. Harmon who had great comic charm and, and so when Amy Heckerling didn't work out and they were looking for a replacement director, how the hell do you get to Carl Reiner? Right. <laughs> I, I mean, always thought that was strange. He, he, he's, he made funny movies, but uh, in terms of uh, genre uh, and age appeal, um, I haven't seen Summer School yeah. since I was a teenager. I remember think, laughing at a lot of it when I was a teenager, but I haven't returned to it. Mm-hmm. My daughter is a fan of that one, actually. I exposed her to that when she was pretty young. And so about a year ago during the pandemic, we uh, uh, we decided that we were uh, going to go back and revisit that. And she we, we really enjoyed seeing it again. I, I thought it hold up, held, held up, I'll get that out, um, pretty well, all things mm. considered. So, yeah, yeah it, was, it was still a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. And uh, I don't know, I remember Roger Ebert gave it a terrible review, and I just never could figure out. Why he despised it as much as he did. Um, it is interesting because I watch a lot of I, I, every day. Like there's uh, people are posting new episodes of Siskel and Ebert, so I watch a lot of those things. And they just posted up a, a episode today where one of the movies they review is Hardcore. But oh yeah, watching watching a lot of episodes of that back on YouTube, it, it's funny how. I mean, Roger Ebert gets very enthusiastic about a great number of movies. He he hated Home Alone two, but liked Home Alone three. And then on the other on yeah. the other side of it, with with uh, Siskel, he will criticize a movie for uh, an element that he praised another movie for. Like he he has this great inconsistency uh, to to his criticism. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I uh, I. I've been watching them actually in chronological order, and I'm up to uh, the fall of 1981 as we speak. Wow. And yeah, I've been watching them uh, pretty much during the week. If I have a few, you know, just a few minutes here and there, maybe an hour to spare, I'll be like, oh, let me, uh, let me, you know, so I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm watching them in order of the, wow. uh, the air date of the episodes. So, uh, and, you, and you can pretty much find them all at this point. Uh, if you just keep up with the episode number and, and Google the episode number. You can find them. But, yeah, it's a lot of fun to uh, to go back and see what they thought of certain movies yeah. when they were brand new. Yeah, uh, movies that were... Siskel yeah. had that great porn stash in the 70s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he sure did. Yeah. But it's uh, it's funny. Some And, you know, there have been a couple of instances when I'm watching those when they'll bring up a movie. Movie. And this was the reason that I loved that show when I was growing up, you know, as a teenager, was because they always exposed you to movies that you might miss, you know, things that would fall through the cracks. And or if you lived in a smallish town like I did growing up, you didn't have a revival house, uh, you know, you didn't have an art house theater. That's the only hope that you had to find out about some of these movies later became favorites for me. So that uh, and the show, as I go back and watch them. I'll still find things. They'll be reviewing something that I don't recall uh, seeing on cable back in the day, and I'll I'll look at. It. Of course, now it's a lot easier to find it than it was back then. But uh, you could just you know buy a copy of it or something. But a lot of times I'll I'll hear them talking about something, and I'll be like, oh, I gotta 
Let me look for that. Let me find that. Yeah, I saw the show where they were reviewing Love Letters with Jamie Lee Curtis and James Keach, and I was, and they both raved about it. So I said, well, I saw <laughs> that. I saw that. That's available on Amazon Prime. I'll, I'll, I'll watch that tonight. It's not awful, but it's, it's not well put together. It, uh-huh. it feels really cheap. And you know it from the very first credit because the very first credit that comes on is Roger Corman presents. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love yeah, Roger Corman. I, I mean, I yeah. he's indispensable. Uh, but uh, but yeah, the movie's just it's fine. But um, and, yeah. and Lee Curtis is Curtis is really good in it, I think. But and then she was on Letterman. Yeah. She was on uh, Letterman to promote Love Letters. And the entire interview, all David Letterman could talk about, is how how often she was naked in it. And you could tell Jamie Lee Curtis was getting <laughs> aggravated. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I you know I've never seen that movie. I think I have a copy of it here somewhere, but it's one of those I've never I've never actually seen, so I can't really comment on the merits of it or not. But I I uh, I do I would like to. It's it's definitely on my to-do list but yeah yeah i i didn't realize they gave it a uh, an enthusiastic uh, review though i didn't realize that and That's what i did also something i didn't realize another siskel ebert i watched you know de palma's comedy wise guys was so uh, uh, abysmally panned oh yeah and they both went over the moon for it siskel and ebert really yes I, i've never heard huh. them maybe with fargo i heard them talk this enthusiastically about a movie, but it was extremely rare. The, the, the level of, of, of joy they had, they embraced that movie with. I love it when they, uh, yeah. And I remember that getting panned. I, I, I remember, I don't even think I saw it because Palma doesn't away like it. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you've, now you've got me wanting to uh, go back and actually check that out. Um, yeah, I love it when they review something and uh, one will convince the other to go back and rewatch something that they hated. That, I always enjoy that because uh, they'll they'll say you should give it another chance. Well, I think I might do that. So yeah. and then I, I ran into an instance on they were reviewing the stunt man, and a boy did Roger Ebert hate that. And um, Siskel, of course, was quite enthusiastic, but but Ebert really hated it, and I I've, I've kind of found its charms to elude me as well and uh he agreed that he would go back and rewatch it so i wonder what his second viewing hmm. was like yeah that, but so. neither one of them <laughs> would give an inch to one another it, it, i think it would be uh, kind of like a point of pride yeah <laughs> probably so yeah oh well fondness for the days of siskel and ebert <laughs> mm. yes well um so I will mention another Kino title. Uh, Dynasty is a uh, a uh, film from Hong Kong from 1977. Now, what makes this interesting is that Kino is releasing it in the new quadraphonic 3D format, which is basically uh, 3D without the 3D glasses, which is the latest technology that's coming down the pike. And so it's going to be interesting to see see how this pans out. I didn't get a review copy of it. I, I wanted to because I wanted to um, to see what the uh, the 3D without 3D glasses actually translates to. How can you but, do uh, that without the proper it, television? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know how it works. It's but it's called um, uh, I think it's called quadraphonic <laughs> uh, 3D or something of that nature. 
Oh, well, but, quadraphonic, uh, isn't that sound? Yeah, it's quadraphonic sound, but it's it's like a quadraphonic 3D, I think is what they're referring to it as, but I could be wrong. Uh, but it's a new technology where supposedly uh, you can I – th- I think you can actually – and I might have this wrong. It might, might just use the actual – they're working on a new process where you don't have to have the 3D glasses or a special television. But I think this one you can watch on any television with just regular lenticular glasses. I think that's what it is. This one is one where you can just uh, watch it on any television set with the regular glasses oh. as opposed to having well, a special How, how is set. that new technology? They used to do that with um, with Creature from the Black Lagoon on TV in the 70s. Exactly. This is suppo- <laughs> yeah, I know. It's supposed to be greatly improved, though. It's supposed to be like the uh, the digital 3D that we have been used to seeing for since Avatar came out, but it's with without a, a special television. Television set. Okay. I think that's what it is. It's a little confusing to be honest, but it's it's uh, it's it's something new, basically with the 3D technology. That's the main selling point for this disc from Kino. But uh, is it's 3D kind of dying off sword before sword the sword. pandemic? Because I, I mean, maybe oh, yeah, I, yeah, maybe yeah. I haven't been paying attention, but man, for a while there was every movie in 3D, and and that seemed to yeah. have tampered down. I wonder if it'll jumpstart again with the next Avatar. Yeah, I'm thinking it might, especially if they get this technology going without the glasses uh, that they're talking about. I think that's going to be a big selling point because I don't think people wanted to do the 3D glasses. I think that was a big uh, a big hindrance to getting people to do it. But, yeah, they stopped manufacturing the television sets for the most part, and the DVD players, I think, are pretty much – so at this point, I don't even think they're manufacturing the hardware. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, they, if it's out there, you have to really look hard for it, so – Anyway, um, but it's in 3D, so it'll be easy enough enough to find if you're looking for it. Yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah, there's a whole other dimension there. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, Well, here's a Criterion release for the month. This one's from 1937. History is made at night, directed by Frank Borzage, and it's a. um, a sublime pen to love from Frank Brzage is how it's billed, and it's uh, Gene Arthur is an unhappy socialite thrown together by fate with a stranger, and the two are bound in a consuming, seemingly impossible affair that stretches across continents and brings them to the very edge of catastrophe. Uh, this new edition from Criterion is a new 4K digital transfer, new conversation between author Herb. Hervé Dumont and film historian Peter Cowie interview from 2019 with critic Farron Smith Neem. Audio excerpts of a 1958 interview with Brassage, a radio adaptation of the film, restoration demonstration, and an essay booklet. So uh, History is Made at Night from Criterion has been issued hmm. uh, this month. Another. I was, watching an extra, I was watching an extra on the Criterion channel. I don't know if I told you about it or not. It was on the McCabe package on the channel, and uh, it was a, a Dick Cavett show with Pauline Kael. Uh, Pauline Kael and, and uh, Rod Serling uh, on the panel on the Dick wow. Cavett show. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't even know this existed. So I got to watch like part of a brand yeah. new, for me, a brand new Pauline Kael interview. Fantastic. I'll have to... Uh... I'll have to see if that's on the uh, – I have the McKay Blu-ray, but uh, I, I wonder if it's on there. It may be on there. I'll be yeah. have to d- dig it out and look. 
because I don't recall seeing that there, but may, I may have overlooked it. So uh, yeah, that came out about five years ago now, which is hard to believe. Mm. Anyway, uh, yeah. Well, th- thanks for the heads up. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Um, so we talk about these 1980s films. We were just mentioning The Wildlife. Another Kino release is North Shore from 1987. How about that? Remember this one? It had Gregory Harrison and – Nia Peoples and Matt Adler. It's about the uh, this guy's quest for the perfect wave. What's that? Nia Peoples. Gosh, I haven't heard that name Nia in forever. Peoples. Yeah. North Shore. I remember when this came out. It was one of those August releases, you know, at the tail end of summer when they're the dumping ground for the last of the summer movies that nobody uh, really <laughs> – the movies they have little faith in. This was one of those I remember. Isn't there a, 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 Ch- uh, a Charlize Theron uh, labor union movie called North Shore? I think that's – I don't think it's North Shore. It's North, North Country? something or other, I believe. North Country, that's it. North okay. Country, yes. Yeah, North Shore is uh, – yeah, it's it's the surfing movie from 1987. Isn't there a so mall down the street from my house called North Shore? <laughs> <laughs> there could be. Very well could be. But anyway, this is uh, – this is – uh, again, Kino uh, licensing this title from Universal. It has a new commentary on it, and uh, I think it has some bonus footage from the television version or something. There's some extra stuff here, uh, footage not in the original theatrical version. Um, so North Shore is available. We also have Josie and the Pussycat. Mm. It's in outer space. The television series, complete television, oh, television series, series. Okay. animated from 19, yeah, 1972 on Warner Arc. Archive. No, we normally don't talk about television series, but it's a Warner Archive release, and they do such good work. I just thought I'd mention it. So, anyway, we also have Leap of Faith, William Friedkin on The Exorcist. This documentary that was released last fall has been released by RJ Entertainment on disc with a bonus 80-minute interview that was conducted <laughs> online last summer wow. uh, just about his career in general. Yeah, so you get the uh, – movie which is strictly about the exorcist and then you get a bonus online interview that was done for some sort of film festival or something where he talks about his career at large and so um anyway i i did not get a review copy of this although i did see leap of faith last fall and i will vouch for it i thought it was pretty good yeah it is Uh, i thought i yeah much better than the commentaries he did i think for the exorcist that are actually on the discs i think you learn more from this documentary uh, I always, always thought it was funny. Like uh, my friend Chris and I, I had like an inside joke years ago when one of these DVD editions of The Exorcist came out, and it was you know he did commentary under the movie, and so I didn't feel a need for him to do an actual video introduction to the movie. Like why don't you just discuss that in the commentary? So he did yeah. an introduction to the video that he did commentary on, and. Uh, and so I thought it would be funny if he did commentary under the introduction where he'd be like, I chose this pink sweater because it was the only thing that was clean. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how much freaking can you take? <laughs> oh, that would be great. Oh, man. That's hilarious. Oh, let's see. Well, anyway, Leap of Faith, I'd recommend it. I, I would say if Me people too. haven't seen it and if you're a fan of – if you're a fan of Mr. Freakin and his work, well, who isn't if you're a serious film fan? Uh, you know, check, do yourself a favor and find Leap of Faith, William Freakin on The Exorcist, and give it a spin. I was kind of uh, dreading it. it. I was dreading anyway, watching that movie. Yeah, me, 
because uh, I, I thought it would be so repetitive from everything that's come out the past 45 years. Because Freakin is not. Yeah. Freak. Excuse me. Freakin is very verbose about his own work anyway, so it's not like he's never revealed crap about The Exorcist. He's interviewed all the time. Yeah. Uh, except recently, because I, I hear he's not been well. But um, uh, so so I was shocked that I learned new things about the film in, in Leap of Faith. Yeah, I was too. Yeah, and very, uh, very revelatory. I, there was, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of good stuff there. So anyway, uh, recommendation out of the batch that we're t- talking about tonight. That's definitely a recommendation. Uh, so another Kino release is September 30th, 1955, which has been a long sought after title. This was, uh, released by Universal in 1977. This has always been known as one of the few films to deal seriously with the death of a famous person and how it affects regular people. Oh, it's James Dean. Um, in this Dean. case, the actor, yeah, the James Dean. Yeah, it's okay. uh, Richard Thomas. Basically, plays a, a huge fan of James Dean, and he gets the news. Uh, it's about the day that, of James Dean's tragic passing, and Richard Thomas uh, gets the news, and he's such a fan, and he basically just goes bonker. Oh wow! After hearing the news, that's what the movie is about. And, uh, yeah, I was afraid you Dennis were about Quaid to tell me that, that like, Richard Thomas played James Dean. I was like, please, God, no. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> man, that James Dean story, you know, it's all interesting to me. But I think what's most interesting to me is the guy that hit him and killed him uh, and yeah, how how he yeah. kind of con- continued his life beyond that. He didn't want to discuss it with anybody. Um, yeah, yeah but, right. But to know that you've not know who you hit and then to be told, no, it's the, it's kind of somebody that would be the icon of the age that you killed. I mean, it's terrible to kill anybody, but, uh, but, but you know, that he had to have dealt with people that were seeking him out and that hated him or maybe, Oh, sure. Maybe people weren't as crazy back then. I don't know. Yeah. Well, when, you know, if anybody that knew who he was and knew what he was, what he had been involved in, I'm sure. Yeah, it wasn't as easy to find out those things back then. But yeah, if they did know, yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, life was not so pleasant at points in his life. I would say, yeah. I mean, but yeah, were, this is an interesting. Movie. There, there oh, was just there's just one James Dean movie that had been released by the time he was killed. That's right. Yeah. But I was he uh, he was on the radar. I guess he was just becoming popular from that movie. Yeah. But I mean, we always yeah, I think th- was- we always think of him as icon, but the, I think the his death is what contributes a lot to his iconic status, because oh, audiences yeah. only knew him from that one movie at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Rebel Without a Cause, right? Yeah. That was the one that was released in his lifetime, was it? Yeah. So yeah, and it's a great movie. I mean, you know, he's great in it, and you can't deny that. And so uh, I could see how. You know, because it was it was probably unlike anything that audiences were had seen up to that point. Maybe Brando was the closest thing that they had seen to that style of acting. I think uh, from an actor, and so I think you know yeah. it, was, it was a new day. I mean, my my point of it was like when he when he was killed. Yeah, we kind of assumed that he was an icon when he was killed because that's how we remember James Dean, but. I think the yeah, iconography only comes in retrospect because right, yeah. he was killed. That's right. Yeah. I guess I was what I was trying to say was that he, uh, I, I'm sure he made a splash, and so 
you know, he yeah, was, he was on the radar. He was the next big yeah, thing. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so, yeah, I just think it's interesting subject matter for a film to explore how uh, a celebrity's death uh, affects somebody who's you know, whose life was whose life was touched by that person. That's a that subject matter. You really don't see a whole lot in films. And so it's it's an interesting exploration of that. This September 30th, 1955, this movie was actually dumped in theaters. And I don't think it was given much fanfare at the time. And now it's it's become quite celebrated in the years since because it's so different in its treatment of that subject. Um, And uh, anyway, like I said, Richard Thomas Dennis Quaid, written and directed, by the way, by James Bridges, who would later do wow. Urban Cowboy and uh, China Syndrome just two years later. So Yeah, James Bridges, one of the greats. But uh, what about the Altman th- thing, the James Dean story? When was that? Oh, that was in the 50s. I think that was a slapdash thing. He was hired by somebody to put together uh, a bunch of, you know, clips and a, a hastily edited documentary thing mm. is what it was to cash in on the I think it was like 57 or something like that yeah. I believe if I'm not mistaken so um so something along those lines man there's a travel video because I watch a lot of these things where people go to movie star sites and movie sites and all that kind of stuff and there's a travelogue video where this guy visits the place in uh, where was he from Indiana yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his hometown in Indiana, and it's still to this day, it's it's a James Dean tourist spot. They got two separate gift shops, two, uh, museums devoted to James Dean. Obviously, his gravesite is there. The house he grew up in is still standing. It's a little, it's a really big, pretty farmhouse. Uh, yeah. Up until recently, his brother still lived there. Um, that's, I think I'm right about that. But it's a really fascinating video to watch. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, he was. I, I knew he was out. Um, I, I, I knew it was. I was thinking like it was Indiana. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. Well, anyway, we'll move on to uh, moving all the way up to April twentieth already. Believe it or not, believe it or not. Uh, like I said, it was a little. Uh, the release schedule was a little thin this month, so that's why we're moving so quickly. But anyway, there's there's some things worth mentioning still. Uh, Memories of Murder, Bong Joon-ho's 2003 film, which was uh, about a, a series of serial killings in uh, Korea in the 1980s. It was uh, based on a true story, and this is a uh, – and I, again, I didn't get a review copy of this one, but I hear it's a very compelling film uh it's just now making its way to the the u.s i don't think it's been seen here in in wide release or readily available yeah, criterion has uh, it's, yeah. it's been on streaming for a while I, I i was very lukewarm on it okay i, I know i know it's it. massively praised and there are a lot of right. critics that say zodiac has nothing on this movie i didn't okay. i didn't once think of zodiac when i was watching it and there were actually moments in that movie that i thought were downright improbable and, and and just silly stupid interesting i'd give it like a two and a half um that's, that's just interesting me. okay well i'm gonna i still want to check it out but yeah i, I uh especially at I, the end at the end i'll just say they have a yeah. key piece of ever evidence that is presented to them by the the uh, the fbi in the states mm-hmm they take it out of the envelope. This is going to give them the answer that they've been looking for for the past two hours of the movie. They take it out in the pouring rain. They do nothing to protect or preserve 
the key the key results that they've been waiting so long for in this envelope and i was like do you want to like seek shelter (laughs) so so this this thing that we've been waiting for for so long doesn't get all damaged i mean that's just one example of it's fine the last the last shot of it is really good Mm -hmm. um and i I like i like the very end note of it wow yeah it's uh it's very highly regarded and like i said i had never uh I had, I had never gotten around to seeing it. I, I didn't. I got the impression that it had been kind of suppressed, but I didn't realize it had been around for a while. So, uh, uh, anyway, nevertheless, but yeah, Memories of Murder released by Criterion on um, on Blu-ray uh, with some some new extras, uh, along with uh, also another Criterion release, the 1950 western The Furies. Directed by Anthony Mann and starring Barbara Stanwyck. And this has been issued uh, with also new transfer, new extras as well. So I wanted to mention that. A couple of Paramount titles here. They've been digging, uh, going back into their catalog and reissuing stuff. I, I think I've mentioned that in previous episodes. And here are a couple of the offerings we have for this month. We have Dave Chappelle's Block Party from 2005. That has been issued. On Blu-ray, uh, Cheech and Chong still smoking from 1983, and I think all of these are pretty much bare bones. Maybe there's a commentary or or something on a couple of these, but not really sure. Uh, Naked Gun, all three of the Naked Gun films have been issued separately. Now they were re- released uh, together in one collection a couple of years back, but I don't think separately until now. And um, I think the problem with uh, the Naked Gun collection, they had comment audio commentaries for two and three that were not on the the collection when you got them all together. So I think that may have been re- those may have been reinstated on these new issues. Okay. But anyway, I thought the problem with the Naked Gun <clears throat> series was the fact that a murderer was in all three of them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, my my bad. You know, it's funny you mentioned that that we mentioned Naked Gun and Police Squad, and I know probably some of our listeners know this. You probably know it as well. But, you know, at the beginning of the television series Police Squad, they always have, you know, which the movies are based on, Mm. they always have the special guest star, so-and-so, and and then, you know, somebody gets killed at the beginning of the show, and it's always a famous actor. (laughs) And, yeah, they actually – Yeah, they had filmed – uh, a scene at the beginning of that television show uh, with John Belushi where he was literally – he was underwater wearing cement shoes, and he was the guest star at the beginning of one of the episodes. And special guest star John Belushi, and they cut to a scene of him underwater with cement shoes on, and that was actually going to be in one of the – I think in the fifth or sixth episode, and by the time it was set to air, he was dead. Oh. And so it became just such a dark – Yeah. Became such a dark place to go, so they refilmed it with uh, William Conrad. So uh, that footage is apparently lost, but it's uh, that's they 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 uh, because I was listening to an old interview with um, with the Zucker brothers where they were on Doctor Demento from 1982. This is when the show was on television at the time it was airing, and they were mentioning that John Belushi was making a cameo. And, uh, and so they started ta- talking about that. And I did some research and found out that it was actually a scene filmed where he's underwater with cement shoes on. So mm. anyway, I thought that was interesting for anybody who doesn't know that story. Man, that was all funny. The TV show was funny. The movies were funny. And they cannibalized oh, yes. a lot of the TV show in the movies. I mean, oh, they did, yes. you get a lot of their jokes from the TV show in those films. But, oh, yeah. uh, man, they the Zuckers were never – Funny. I mean, you think of airplane, and you think of that Naked Gun trilogy, and then you can. Why? What happened? Like, why couldn't they be that funny again? I know, right? 
I've always wondered too. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like uh, I, I don't know. It just makes you wonder. Because I know uh, David Zucker, he went on to do a couple of things after that. He did the uh, uh, that parody of the Michael Moore movies, the documentaries. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it was an American. Pretty, yeah, American Carol, Carol. That's it. Yeah, boy, that. Yeah, but even um, and and Jerry Zucker went on to a good legitimate career. Well, but, those um, scary movies. But you know, uh, I mean, even years before that, I mean, all their efforts right after Naked Gun, they were just you know what? It's like they lost their detector for what was funny. Yes, what was funny? Yeah. Although I think Mafia, which was directed by Jim Abrams, I think he directed that one. I I think it has its moments. There's some pretty funny stuff in there. Mm. Uh, I, I I enjoy that. It's a, it's a good parody of uh, Casino and I guess I guess it's Casino and good and well they they throw in some Godfather jokes and Forrest Gump jokes, but it's it, there's some good stuff there. I think. I guess because I didn't see uh, I know Airplane's designed to be a parody of the disaster movies and that Naked Gun is yeah. a par- parody of the cop stuff, but yeah, I saw the especially in the Naked Gun movies there are specific characters. I mean, Drebin was a specific character, so mm-hmm. I never thought that it was a takeoff on the genre that had come before. Oh yeah. And then they just started doing this takeoff on this genre and this genre, and it just got monotonous. The spy yeah. movie and blah blah blah. Maybe I'm getting them confused. No, I'm not getting them confused with Fairleys. Who was the one, the scary movie? Who did those? The Wayans. Bro- Wayans. They did the first two, and then David Zucker did four, okay. th- uh, three, four, and five. Yeah, he did three, four, and five. Yeah, this movie parodies yeah. just don't work for me. None of them really. Yeah, I uh, I laughed a few times at the ones that Zucker did. The three and three and four, I think I chuckled a couple of times at a few of those jokes, but the fifth one was just really bad. It was just, it was just really bad. Well, I remember the scary movie. Was it two that was the parody of The Exorcist at the beginning? I believe so, yes. With James Woods? Yeah. And thinking yeah. James Woods was truly funny in that. Yeah. In that opening. And uh and I think it was cool that they were trying to get Marlon Brando to be the That's right, yeah. Yeah, which I just can't imagine that would have just put it over the top, but but Woods is funny in that skit. I th- I think it's the four I think it might be the fourth one, fourth scary movie, but it's the one where uh uh, it opens up with Charlie Sheen, and he's got right. a cameo in it, and he's uh, he's gonna he's trying to commit suicide, and he's gonna take a uh, an overdose of sleeping pills, and he accidentally grabs the wrong bottle, and he grabs the <laughs> bottle of Viagra. Of course. And oh my God, that's hysterical! I think I, uh, that that is absolutely. And he fall, he finally jumps out the window, and there's like this gigantic hole in the ground where he drilled a <laughs> hole in the ground. <laughs> it's it's really funny. Uh, it's, uh, it's, there's some good stuff there. All right, all right. They, they have their charms, I guess. They do, yeah. Three, four, especially, I guess, and four, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the one, they have a parody of the village in there. Mm. Where, uh, and they have, you know, the, 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 uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is the blind girl in the village, and in this one they have, um, oh, I'm trying to think, um, the, the girl that was married to, um, Dennis Rodman, what's her, um, Carmen Electra. Carmen Electra, I'm just drawing a blank. Yeah, she she plays the Bryce Dallas Howard character, and she walks into the. Uh, they're having a, uh, they have some their own little court or whatever where they're convicting people, and she walks in thinking it's the bathroom, and she takes her pants down, <laughs> uses the bathroom in front of everybody because she's blind. Her character is blind. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> it's, 
It's uh. Carmen Electra's in another one that where she's. She stays safe from the stabbing by her breast implant or something. Uh, yeah, I think and that, so. And that was yeah. the direct parody on the uh, Scream with yeah. Barrymore. Yeah, yeah they, they, they have the moments. They have the moments. But uh, anyway, except number five, avoid at all costs. But anyway, <laughs> uh, well, we'll move along to a couple. Speaking of Warner Archive, which we referenced earlier, I'll uh, I'll cover some of the Warner Archive titles. How about that? Uh, we have Quick Change, the only film to be... <sighs> Uh, co-directed by Bill Murray, and, or you know, he, I don't think I like he's ever. That movie. I do too. Basically, about a trio of bank robbers who can't seem to get out of New York City, and uh, Bill, <laughs> Bill Murray is the uh, Bill Murray's the leader of the trio, and you have Gina Davis and Randy Quaid as the uh, the two uh, and Robards as the cop that's going right. out. Yeah, yeah, that movie that movie works for me. And the funniest line in that movie. It, 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 it's impossible to describe, and it, people would think uh-huh. it's funny. And people just glaze over it when they see it in the movie because it doesn't play like a punchline. But it's when Bill Murray first enters the bank, and he's he he holds it up. Yeah. And the guard's there, and the guard looks at him. And he says, "Please, I'm an old man." And Bill, Mur- <laughs> Bill Murray says, "Really? <laughs> like it's not obvious that you're an old man when he's pleading for his life." Yeah, it's it still works. I, I rewound from a couple of weeks ago when I got the review copy, and I'm so glad they put it out. A lot of great technical credits on this, too. Uh, you have it, Alan Heim edited it, and well, yeah. Uh, yeah, Michael Chapman was the uh, cinematographer. It's so, a sharp uh, movie, and it's a good New York City movie. I mean, oh, if it's, if it's about yes. anything, it's about New York City. Yeah, and there's a lot of jabs at, at you know the city uh, that are I'm sure are going to appeal to people who've lived in the city for any stretch of time. So, uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun, and um, makes you kind of miss uh, Randy Quaid when you see him in this movie. <laughs> you miss him, uh, what he could bring to a movie when you know. Yeah, and it makes you miss um, middle-range movies. You do, yes, you absolutely do, yeah. But uh, this is a movie I don't think it succeeded very well in 1990 when when it was released, but it's uh, kind of gained a reputation over the years and. Uh, I think uh, it was one of their most requested titles, so I'm glad they glad they got it out there. So, uh, quick change now available from good folks at Warner. He Archive. co-directed that with who? Howard Franklin or something? Howard Franklin. Okay. Yes, that is correct. God, there no. Yeah. Look at that memory on me. Wow. You were good, man. You really are. Yeah. No extras on this one either, by the way. So, uh, mm. want to mention that. Uh, the Green Dolphin Street from 1947, starring Lana Turner and Van Heflin and Donna Reed, and Frank Morgan, the uh, the wizard from The Wizard of Oz. Mm. Uh, this is kind of a follow-up to uh, The Postman Always Rings Twice, and it's set in 19th century Europe and New Zealand. It's a tour uh, the tale of two beautiful sisters. One is Headstrong, played by Lana Turner, and the other one is Gentle, played by Donna Reed. That's kind of what she specialized in. And of the man who marries one even though he loves the other, and it was nominated for uh, an Oscar for special effects. It's uh, a kind of a longish film. It's about two and a half hours. But um, anyway, Green Dolphin Street, the Oscar-nominated MGM film, has been issued by Warner Archive. Uh, contains a special... Uh, Lux Radio Theater audio broadcast of the film and theatrical trailer. So, uh, mm. Green Dolphin Street from 1947. Yeah, last night I was watching a movie. Uh, I, you know, I just watched it last night. And I forget the name of it. It's a. It was written by Raymond Chandler and it's uh, Veronica Lake is one of the stars. 
And okay. uh, Veronica Lake, such a beautiful woman. And I saw a later interview with her. She had she had retired from the business and she had written an autobiography that mm-hmm. she was promoting. So this was, I don't know, mid 70s on Dick Cavett. And, uh, and then I read up about her and how she died penniless. Oh, yeah. She hadn't, talk, hadn't talked to her children. They were fighting over her ashes. And some of her ashes were apparently found in a, uh, an antique shop in some small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, God, like, wow. It's awful. It's awful. And Veronica Lake was like the, the, the femme fatale. She was the woman of great mystery and beauty. And yes, it's true. Yeah. She, she had a sad end. It's, re- it's really terrible. Makes you wonder how things like that, how people's lives like that go off the rails. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, so another one of archive title is Dr. X from 1932. This was, um, it's really, I think it's made by the same team who made the uh, the Mystery of the Wax Museum. This was uh, one of those early three strip Technicolor films. It stars Lionel Atwill and Faye Ray, and it's basically about a uh, a series of murders. And they're trying to a scientist is trying to recreate the circumstances uh, that led up to the person's murder and cat and figure out who might have been responsible by recreating it with a, a group of people that were in the vicinity at the time of the murder. And anyway, it's, um, I don't know. There's some, it doesn't quite work for me. I watched it. Uh, it's interesting because of it's a three strip technicolor pre-code film, but, uh, the movie has some really lame attempts at humor that don't quite work. And Faye Ray screams way too much in this film, but <laughs> it's just, uh, not nearly as good as Mysteries of the Wax Museum, but um, anyway, Dr. X, for anybody who's a fan, directed by Michael Curtiz, and it has some uh, – interestingly enough, this movie was filmed twice. It was filmed uh, by the same director, same cast, in color and in black and white, and both versions of the film are on the disc. So, uh, And then you have some other extras as well, uh, restoration comparisons, and you have uh, commentaries and all that stuff. So anyway, Dr. X, for anybody who's a fan, uh, there you go. Each Dawn I Die from 1939, which stars uh, James Cagney and George Raft. Archive release. Uh, of course, Cagney is framed for manslaughter in this one after he breaks a story about city corruption and has to fight to get his way to fight to fight to get out. And uh, special features including uh, a Warner Night at the Movies, a 1939 short subjects gallery, vintage newsreels, a documentary, uh, the trailers for Each Dawn I Die and Wings of the Navy, a featurette, uh, commentary, studio blooper reel, bonus cartoons, a bonus radio show with George Raft, all kinds of stuff there. So anyway, Each Dawn I Die – Starring James Cagney and George Raft, Warner Archive again. And another thin man as the third in the series, starring William Powell and Myrna Loy as the uh, sleuthing couple. Who uh, uh, in this one they are they add an addition to the family with the the, the uh, have a a baby in this one to uh, join them in there as they solve crimes together. Um, so anyway, these films are, you know, slight, I think, as far as the mystery element goes, but they're a lot of fun. The uh, chemistry between William Powell and Myrna Loy is amazing in these films. And anyway, I've I've seen the first two, haven't gotten around to the third one yet. But, um, uh, you know, if you're a fan of the Thin Man series, another Thin Man has been released. And there are a couple of 
Special features here, a musical short, Love on Tap, and a classic cartoon, The Bookworm, and a theatrical trailer. So there you go. And we also have Annie Get Your Gun from 1950 uh, that, and the Broadway Melody of 1940, uh, also Warner Archive and with new extras on both of those as well. Uh, they've also reissued Chariots of Fire, the Oscar winner, Best Picture of 1981. And um, Mutiny on the Bounty has been reissued from 1935, the original with Clark mm. Gable and Charles Lawton. Uh, both of those had previously been issued by Warner Brothers proper, but gone out of print. So now uh, they've come to the rescue and brought them back out again on the Warner Archive label. And uh, Kino has uh, released a two, uh, a double feature rather, of two film noir British film noir classics: Cast a Dark Shadow, starring Dick Bogard and Margaret Lockwood. And Wanted for Murder, starring Eric, Eric Portman and Dulcie Gray. And these are from 1955 and 1946. Um, so anyway, these have been completely restored and no extras. But um, anyway, these two British film noir classics have been issued for the, for the price of one. Uh, Dirty Dancing has been issued in 4K. Um you know, don't know what else to say about that. It's been issued many times yeah. before, but if you want uh, if you want to see it in ultra high definition, you can do so. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly has been issued in 4K by Kino Lorber Studio Film Classics. Uh, like I said, they've been busy, and this uh, has, I think, the extended cut that was uh, put reassembled in the late 90s, and it has the original theatrical cut. I think that's the first time it's ever been issued on Blu-ray, the original theatrical cut. So. Um, Anyway, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly in 4K with lots of extras there. Um, we have Nomadland, which won Best Picture last week at the Academy Awards. And uh, that has been issued on disc as well. Switchblade Sisters from 1975 has been issued by Arrow. And uh, lots of, uh, I mean, some new extras there, uh, commentaries, all that good stuff. A lot of carryovers from previous editions. Uh, this, of course, was the uh, the one of the films that Quentin Tarantino released when he had his uh, brief Rolling Thunder Pictures subsidiary label, where he was given carte blanche as to what films he would like to see re-released in theaters, and he put several out, and uh, this was uh, this was one of them, along with uh, the Mighty Peking Man. Okay. And, uh, yeah, Detroit 9000, I think was another one. But anyway, I don't think any of them made much, uh, much, much money. And so they kind of shuttered that, that line of films. But anyway, um, so we'll move on. Uh, Irma Vep from 1996. That's another Criterion release. The new transfer and lots of extras there. New extras. And, um, Another Kino release is The Time Travelers from 1964. It's another one of theirs. Uh, Sony Pictures has issued Fun with Dick and Jane from 1977. George Siegel and Fonda. Sony Pictures. We have uh, another Arrow release, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark from 1988. And um, so that has a new transfer and Again, new extras. Arrow's good at that sort of stuff, so put quite a few out, quite a quite a bit of effort into this one, I think, for fans of it. Um, 
We have Deep Blood from Severin Films from 1990. This was one of those Italian uh, Jaws ripoffs, although it was in the early 1990s. So it was a long time after Jaws had been uh, had been a thing, but they were still maybe they were just a little late catching up to what was going on in trends. But <laughs> anyway, nevertheless, um, so yeah, we uh, we have uh, Deep Blood from 1990. We also have. Um, Let's see, Werewolves on Wills from 1971. I think that's a that's a Kino release, I do believe. Like Code bike, Red, yes. A biker movie. Yeah, Werewolves on Wills, uh, starring uh, Billy Gray, Steve Oliver. Um, not really familiar with any of these, but yeah, a biker gang visits a monastery when they encounter black-robed monks engaged in worshiping Satan. When the monks try to persuade one of the female bikers, Helen, to become a satanic sacrifice, the bikers smash up the monastery and leave. The monks have the last laugh as Helen is now possessed and at night changes into a werewolf. Wow. So anyway. <laughs> that happened to me once. Ah. <laughs> uh. <coughs> So anyway, uh, yeah, and then uh, we have a couple other things here. Let's see, uh, Grizzly from 1976 has been reissued by Severin Films as well. God. Yeah, it was actually one of the biggest grossing independently made films of all – it still is, I think, of yeah. all time. Yeah. Yeah, quite a – Man, some of, that, some of that is so dark you can't see anything. I know, just, There's yeah. a lot of stuff that takes place at nighttime and – Oh yeah. The Bigfoot is like throwing rocks on the cabin or something. I don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> it has its. Uh, it, this is directed by William Girdler. We've talked about him before. He's the guy who made, uh, you know, like five or six feature films, and then was killed in a helicopter helicopter crash at, at the age of 32 after doing The Manitou and Day of the Animals yeah. and Grizzly and uh, Abby, the uh, the Black Exorcist ripoff. Mm. Yeah, did quite a few of those. So anyway. Uh, another Paramount title, Dear God, starring Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear, yeah. 1996. Gary Marshall movie, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we have that. Uh, Punchline, featuring a recent guest of ours on the show. Uh, I mean, written and directed by a recent guest, I should say. David Seltzer wrote and directed that. We had him on back in February. and Punchline? For, yeah. For the 45th anniversary of... Uh, of the Omen, I had him on and talked to him, and he wrote and directed this film, starring huh. Sally Field and Tom Hanks. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, sure did, sure did. He, uh, he. Uh, this was two years after he wrote and directed Lucas, and then uh, he did this one as well. So. Yeah, there's a, uh, um, there's a round one of those Hollywood Reporter roundtables uh, from a couple of years ago where Tom Hanks was sitting there with Jamie Fox and De Niro and, um. A couple of other actors, but Adam Sandler was seated next to De Niro. De Niro, and Sandler and and Tom Hanks were talking back and forth about how Sandler said, "You know, I used to see you in the clubs to Tom Hanks working on material when you're preparing for Punchline." So he he that's what he would do. He would go into Catch a Rising Star or whatever, and yeah, all, all the legitimate comics were like looking at him and knowing that he was studying for a movie and right, yeah. And they said, you had some chops, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. I like that movie. I, I, I always did, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I totally forgotten that, uh, that that David Seltzer had written and, written and directed that until I was doing the research for his, uh, for his interview. And I saw it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Pretty good stuff. A couple more Paramount titles here. Head of State with Chris Rock. 
Bernie Mac, uh, the ladies' man from 2000, and the head of state, of course, from 2003, and dead man on campus from 1998. Yeah, um, yeah a couple of those. And then we'll have, we got a couple more uh, – Couple of keynote titles, and this will wrap us up for the for the month. Um, yeah, we first have Heartworn Highways, which is a documentary, long lost documentary uh, about these uh, a group of, of I think it was uh, a documentary on a bunch of the country artists at the time, and it just shows them uh, in their very uh, excessive lifestyles, I guess. And it was what banned, I think, at one point. But, Heart, 1976, Heart Worn Highways, yeah. and it features um, Steve Earle, David Allen Coe, Rodney Kroll, Guy Clark, Charlie Daniels. Um, anyway, it's uh, you know this is basically their their uh, down home shots of the folks in Wigwam Tavern in Nashville. Many of the singers are entertaining in their own right, and there are interesting segments, such as the one sequence in the Tennessee State Prison during a performance by David Allen Coe. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, this is supposedly a really interesting documentary. I, again, I uh, didn't get around to checking it out, but Heartworn Highways is uh, has been finally unearthed <laughs> by Kino Lorber, and we also have Battle Hymn, directed by Douglas Sirk. Um, from 1957, originally released by Universal, and Rock Hudson is uh, and Dan DeRay. Uh, this has a new commentary, I think, and a uh, few few new extras. So, Battle Hymn, one of the Douglas Sirk films from the 50s, and then the last title we'll cover is A Lovely Way to Die, starring Kirk Douglas and Eli Wallach from 1968. That's uh, another Kino release. So uh, I think that pretty much covers us. Like I said, we uh, it's a little, a little. Um, the slate was a little thinner than usual, but I think they're gonna pick it up a little bit in May. There's a lot of hard, uh, Scream and Shout Factory haven't been issuing anything in the first quarter, quarter of the year, so I think they're gonna change all that with King Kong next month and or this month I should say because we're recording this in May. King Kong and several other horror titles that they're putting out. So uh, you know we'll have some. A uh, pretty good bit of stuff to talk about uh, for the month, uh, the May relate releases when we get to that point. So okay, so there you go. Okay, good times. Yeah, as usual. <laughs> what did you uh, before I hang up? Uh, what did you think of the Oscars? I uh, I didn't get a chance to call you, and I I did want to get your take because I always value your opinion. Did you watch them from beginning to end? I watched them all the way through the end of the in-, in memoriam, and that was it. I couldn't take any more, to be honest. I, uh, <laughs> well, I, was like, I, I guess I we know what you thought of it. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I just. Uh, 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 I guess this is going to be a one-off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because uh, I mean, I like the fact that they tried to do something different, but uh, I don't. You know, I. The older I get, the less I care about award shows. They're Same. all, yeah. You know, I guess the Grammys, if you know what music is popular at the time, which the older I get, I don't know what's popular music-wise. Yeah. The, the Grammys are more of a performance thing. Sure. Yeah. You know, the, they they give out seventy-five percent of their awards outside of the telecast because they just want the performers you know, mm-hmm. to do their thing. So I guess that will continue to have relevance, but I don't know. I, it, and I, 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 I like Nomadland a lot. Uh, yeah. so, uh, 
and I like some of the winners a lot, but um, the setting was just just weird. Yeah. The one time when the thing came alive, when it started this this uh, segment, I thought, oh god, another they're gonna do a time waster by doing that karaoke thing or that trivia oh, thing. Oh yeah, yeah. That was but it awful. turned out to be, but uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it would be awful. It turned out to be the one part of the thing that felt uh, spontaneous. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, this thing came alive all of a sudden. The audience is excited. The other thing I really liked was um, the fact that they gave the Gene Hersholt Award to an organization for the first time. Oh, yeah. And that, that they great, chose yeah. the motion picture home because I, I thought that was fantastic. I do, too. That's such a wonderful organization. I, I'm, I'm on board with that totally. Yeah, because people don't realize, I mean, you know. Uh, you can be a hot property one minute and, and then, you know, the jobs start drying up and you have a couple of bad health, you know, health situations that throw you for a loop and then you, you, you've got nothing. So I, I think it's a, it's a terrific. Yeah. I mean, uh, years, year, uh, last year when I interviewed that assistant director, um, yeah, he, uh, he volunteers at, uh, the motion picture home. Mm hmm. So, uh, and he was talking to me a lot about that. And I, I saved some of it and aired some of it, but we went mm. on for like 20 minutes about it and how great it was. And um, he said, yeah, when you guys come out to L.A., uh, I'll give you a tour of the place. I can't imagine the hell they went through this past year, like all nursing facilities. Oh, I know. So for all I know, yeah. that, that guy isn't around anymore. Michael. Uh, yeah. Michael. Uh, I can't remember his last name. But anyway, yeah. it's, it's available. The interview is available in our archives from last year. But, uh, yeah. But they do great work. And, you know, the stories, just, to, you know, to hear the history of Hollywood and the stories contained in that building. Yeah. You know, that alone. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, if I lived out there, I would definitely be volunteering. If yeah. I was in the vicinity, you know, I, I, that's something I would definitely do. I would love, you know, I had these. It's funny, 30 years ago when I thought about moving out there, that was one of the things I'd always thought I would do. I said, oh, I'll move out there and I'll start, I'll, when I have spare time, I'll volunteer and at the motion picture home. And <laughs> well, it never happened, of course. But, yeah, uh, I think it's up there on Mulholland. I think it's up there in the hills. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so many people. You know, that's where Helen Reddy was living when she passed last really? fall. Yeah, she was there. I think Davio, Alan Davio was there too. Yes, he was. That's correct. Yeah. And of course, Larry Fine famously lived there till he passed from the Three Stooges. Uh, mm. So, uh, you know, because he, he had no family. His wife had, pa- had predeceased him, and he had a child who was killed in a car accident, and he had this horrific stroke, and he couldn't work. You know, he, fr- he could not freaking work, and he was not good with his money. I think he gambled a lot, and he just had nothing. Yeah. And so he that's that's where he, you know, basically kept him going for six. He had a stroke and he lived for six years after the stroke. But, uh, you know, so people like that, you know, you think about it. Yeah, that was great. I like the uh, Tyler Perry. Yeah, uh, speech. me too. I thought that was pretty moving. Yeah, uh, I, I, I was I thought, you know, but it was, you know, I'm sure you're like me. When I turned it on within 30 seconds, I knew I was, that it was going to be a train wreck. You know, sometimes you just turn something on and you just, you just know immediately it's like, oh God, this is going to be bad. This is just, <laughs> this is going to be bad. Yeah. It was just boring. And, and, and yeah. to, and to lay on those presenters just the, uh, the burden of, 
uh, reciting entire monologues. I mean, sure, yeah, crazy. Uh, who? What was the? What was the first? Regina Hall or Regina King? Oh, Regina Hall, <laughs> Regina King. Yeah, she came out, and you know, with the politics, at least wait until two hours into the show. I mean, Not you start first, right off the, <laughs> the first thirty seconds. Yeah, but right. <clears throat> but even beyond that, she had to recite like freaking five pages of, of uh, script. Yes. Yes. It's like, why do that to somebody? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, yeah. I don't think uh, – I think their attitude was, you know, well, the ratings are going to be nothing, so who cares what we do? Let's just do – Yeah, if they, were, if they were going to experiment like they did this year, it was the year to do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 